This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up so all right we're back with another edition of the for everybody post game show uh unfortunately uh, not as uh, what we expected in this game. It was going to be a tough game against the Leafs, uh, as we kind of expected, but uh, they're coming off a of back-to-back. They looked a bit tired to end the game. Kind of felt like the Ducks could come out and get two points, uh, but uh, Mitch Marta to Morgan Riley ends it, and uh, the Ducks somehow only get one point out of this one. Yeah, it's crazy. Not only uh, back-to-backs, but uh, uh, third game in four nights, and uh, I mean, you, you can look at how Toronto played this game, but uh, they, they were not the Toronto team that I've, I've watched uh, countless other occasions at home playing well. Uh, they, they looked far, you know, like a team that was much more tired, but still had the talent to just kind of win it whenever they wanted to. The Ducks really kind of put it to them for the most part and then really never just uh, never just ended up getting that game winner. And that's unfortunate because that, that was two points that we could have probably snuck away from a really good team. Yeah, it. it... That's the ones you kind of have to win. We've heard it all season where you're, you're playing against their backup. Like you're playing against Garrett Sparks. Freddie's not even in net. They played the other night against the Sharks in a tough game. Uh, it's obviously not travel, but they still they still are, are tired, and they showed it. Uh, this is a team that scores a lot of goals, and the Ducks were hanging on, and, and they, they started pressuring them. And, and again, it's, it comes down to a bit to luck as well. I mean, we'll get to it, but the missed chances by Ra- Raquel and Cash later in the game, that's unfortunate. But let's... Uh, Let's kick off the pregame here. We, we found out that Patrick Eves has back spasms, so that uh, but he's likely to come back uh, as early as Sunday. That's actually the earliest he can come back because he was placed on the IR. That's what I was going to uh, ask. He was put on the IR. He wasn't like day-to-day or anything? We, he was. He, his injury was day-to-day, but since he was on the IR, he has to miss three games. So, yeah, yeah. yeah the earliest he can come back is Sunday, which which hopefully all signs point to, to him coming back, and we'll see what how they adjust the lineup when that happens. Uh, then Sam Carrick sent back down to San Diego, but he never, I th- don't think he played a game. No, it, it was almost there as like insurance just because of the, uh, the, um, uh, you know, was it the carousel of uh, injuries that keeps happening? Players coming in, coming out here for a day or game or two and then gone. So yeah, he never really gets that. So it seems like at least some of the forwards might be coming back. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, he was called up for cover, I guess, but uh, for, for him to not play. But then a guy we just sent down, Isaac Lindstrom, actually was debuting for San Diego on the top line, centering uh, Troy Terry and Max Jones. He ends nice. up getting two assists in his debut, so it was a great, uh, a great setup for him to get sent down there. Uh, the lineups for this game, the exact same as uh, the Las Vegas game. Well, I mean, uh, it works so well in Vegas. Why not I know. do it again? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> A little bit surprising that, uh, you know, the way Carlisle's juggled lines this year, that uh, he didn't change anything. Uh, it doesn't, I guess it, it didn't go as bad as we thought it would, the same lineup against yeah. Vegas. But uh, he ended up changing it up anyway in the third period, which then really did turn things around at that point. But, uh, and then the last thing is uh, Sparks versus Gibson. So obviously John Gibson is going to pretty much, from what we know, he's going to start every game that's not a back-to-back for the rest of the season if the Ducks are going to have any hope of getting yeah. anywhere close. 
And then on top of that, he was pulled in the second period. So, I mean, that, the guy was a little bit more rested than if he had just actually played a couple of days ago. But uh, Freddie gets, uh, you know, that night off, third game in four nights. It's really rough to kind of keep running him into the ground. And, hey, it's literally the Ducks. I mean, so at this point, you know, you're not too worried about uh, too much offense uh, coming out of them. And uh, so Sparks gets a, a chance, and he, he comes in with a, was like four goals against average. But uh, leave it to the Ducks to uh, be stymied. Yeah, so let's get into uh, the first period here. So uh, it, it started off pretty quickly because uh, it, it starts off with a, an almost goal, 38 seconds mm-hmm. in by Nazem Kadri. So a puck bounces off Getzlaff's skate yeah. behind the net, comes yeah. right out to Nazem <laughs> Kadri. Who, he makes a pretty good move. He goes to the backhand, but John Gibson stretches out and, and shows why he's been the, the key player for the Ducks this year. Yeah, when you're when you're facing a good goalie, and I guess in, in today's NHL, I feel if you're a shooter, it's just quick. Don't think too, too much about it. It's nice that if you can't, I mean, he had enough time to kind of decide what he wanted to do. And far from for me to tell, you know, Nadim Kadri, thirty time, you know, thirty goal scorer, how to shoot and what to do. But if he, I think if he shot it just a little bit quicker, he probably would have caught him. He does make a nice move, but that gives Gibson just a little bit more time to come out and cut down the angle, and it's just enough to actually push the uh, the puck to the side. So. Uh, yeah, we get bailed out on kind of a, a weird play, but it, it wasn't a very good omen to start that period. No, it wasn't, because uh, for the rest of that part, until this first Leafs goal that we're going to talk about, it was pretty much all Leafs. It was a little bit back and forth, and it, it's not like the Leafs were getting a ton of scoring chances, but uh, it leads into this goal by Patrick Marlowe. And and again, there's not, not much the Leafs can do on this one, because you the look the at... Ducks. Well, sorry, there's not much the Ducks can do on this yeah. one. I'm, I'm all over the place right no, now. No. But there's, uh, <laughs> no there's, not much, there's not much the Ducks can do on, on this one, honestly, because Jake Gardner comes down the, the left circle. Really not a dangerous play because he throws yeah. it in from the red line and it hits Patrick Marlowe's skate as he's falling and deflects past John Gibson. Uh, a tough one, a tough one early on. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I mean, you, you'd hope uh, you know Manson got inside position, but Marlowe actually kind of uses the the ref a little bit and is able to kind of work around the ref to get right to the front of the net. And just kind of a, a weird sequence of events that ends up happening that ends up leading, like you said, off the skate. Man, there's no distinct kicking motion. Manson is kind of in the right spot but on the wrong side unfortunately and it just yeah. it just doesn't care him but i mean if you look behind it there's there's getzloff and he's covering the third guy if that goes in there so it's, they did everything kind of right in that order and it just didn't work out and sometimes that happens you do everything right and it still goes in no matter what you do yeah i think that's one rule that kind of gets a lot of people is is milo did to change the direction of his skate but since there's no kicking motion you're allowed to do that which I still find such it's such a vague rule in this league <laughs> where you're not allowed to kick the puck in the net, but you're allowed to direct your skate in an angle that will put it into the net. I, I, I don't I don't really find a huge difference between it, but obviously it ends up counting because he did doesn't kick it into the net. I wonder if they if they have that rule just so people won't try and kick it. And then if some player happens yeah. to be down and around the net, then they get a skate to the throat or something dangerous like that. So they try and make them not do that. But yeah, you can you can angle the skate as long as there's no distinct kicking motion. And the guy was kind of almost falling down at that point anyway. So there there wasn't much of an opportunity for him to even try on it. So yeah, it's just one of those deflection goals that goes in sucks if it goes against you. <laughs> yeah, really. And after that, though, the Ducks got a, some decent pressure, and I think. Until the third period when this line got split up, uh, Richie, Henrique, and Cashew was one of the best lines, if not the best line the Ducks had. Um, I think most of that is due to Andre Cashew, just the way he played this game. Uh, he was probably the Ducks' best forward in this entire game, so just him being on that line helped out. But they, they had some decent pressure. They had some zone time. Nothing super dangerous, but at least generating some chances early on against the Leafs. Uh, but then it flipped the script after that. Ducks struggled to generate offense. A little bit more pressure from Richie, Henrik, and Kasha a bit. Uh, the one thing I did notice, though, Sparks was giving up a lot of rebounds early on. A lot of uh, juicy rebounds. The Ducks just weren't there in the position to capitalize on it. 
Yeah, there were a couple of those things now with, uh, you know, they, they talked about it a lot, the uh, the broadcast. So uh, Hayward and Allers kind of mentioned it quite a bit that he does leave out those rebounds a little bit. But it seemed like most of those rebounds, it, it, they weren't ones that were left right on the goal mouth or something where players are normally going to be. Most of them seem to be kicked out or punched further out past where most players usually are kind of waiting. And so even though that there were some of those rebounds, uh, you know, you'd hope he'd have a little bit more control, but you're talking about a guy who's playing, uh, you know, very few games because Freddie Anderson plays so many, but at the same time, I, I didn't feel like many of those rebounds were, were like grade a opportunities. If someone had just been there, cause he was kicking them out pretty far, punching them out pretty far. Um, I, I did like the, the first and fourth line for the Ducks. I felt like the fourth line, again, um, when you had Gibbons and Sherwood out there and Kosala, you know, they played a limited role as most fourth lines do. But I felt they, they provided a lot of spark and uh, energy and speed uh, in a, a lot of their uh, games. So it was kind of a back and forth first period. And for me, that's kind of good, but it kind of also signified to me that Toronto was maybe a little bit tired because I was just watching them and they just did not look like the same lethal top goal scoring team in the NHL. It just came off of two games where they scored five goals against L.A. and five goals against San Jose. They didn't quite look like the same team. No, they didn't, and, and they had a graphic that came up on the uh, the broadcast where they're talking about how the Leafs were the top goal, goal scoring team in the NHL this year, and um, I, I honestly was still a bit surprised because, you know, there are generally teams who start to look tired on a back-to-back. -back. That's just normal, but you usually see it in the third period, and I, I kind of felt like more so than the Leafs being tired, I don't think they expected the Ducks to play them at the level that, that they were, trying to match their speed and actually playing a, a decent first period. Uh, you can probably chalk it up to a bit. Of course, the Leafs were tired, but I, I give the Ducks some credit there. I think they caught the Leafs off guard, uh, and they played a really solid first period. They didn't deserve to be down one nothing yeah. because it's such a fluke goal by Patrick <laughs> Barlow that uh, you really can't blame anybody on that one. But I, I give them full credit. It was, it was a great period. They actually outshot the Leafs, which is surprising. And, and all the credit to them. I mean, it was a really good effort, I think, from everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, not to take too much away from from what the Ducks were doing. Um, they, they played a good, strong period, especially coming off of, uh, let's call it what it was, an embarrassing loss in Vegas you know, a nationally broadcast one. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the fact they came out and they're playing the top offense in the NHL and uh, the only thing they gave up was just a really fluky goal is, is nothing bad. And the fact they kept with them and at points kind of dominated them just couldn't seem to kind of punch one through, which ended up being a uh, common theme as uh, the game moves along. Yeah, so let's move into the second period here where, where things kind of heated up a little bit. Uh, again, it was still back and forth. There wasn't really any dangerous chances or shots. Uh, the Really, the, the first chance for either team was for Ricard Raquel off a, a great spin pass by Pontus Aberg finds him in front of the net, but I think he's just a little bit too close at that point where uh, he doesn't really have a lot of angles to get it past Garrett Sparks, and really, Sparks, all he has to do is just get in front of that one. Yeah, and he hugs everything in nice and tight, and, uh, you know, it goes you know, right right into the bread basket. So, yeah, it, it, it was a good move that set up a great chance, but unfortunately, yeah, it's a little bit in front of Raquel. The puck's maybe kind of fluttering just a little bit, and then when it gets, you know, two sparks, this is one of those uh, times where it's really great for a rebound to happen and then it just doesn't happen that's the one he sticks yeah. on to and the, you know it doesn't there's nothing else for anyone to do so it's unfortunate but I, I liked Auberg's play and I liked Auberg throughout this game and uh, this is uh, you know him on the top line he wouldn't stay there but I thought this was you know another real good example of how he was playing yeah I, I think Auberg looked good again um, obviously he does get the only goal for the Ducks in this game and a bit of a surprise, I think, this year in, in Pontus Aberg, to say the least. Picked up off waivers, has six goals in his last ten games. That's all six goals for him on the season. Uh, Leads not the team, the, right? Yeah, not what the yeah. Ducks expected by any means. But it, it's always nice to pick a guy up off waivers and, and be a contributing top nine forward. It's something the Ducks need. They need goal scoring. If you're going to get it, not get it from Ricard Raquel or Andre Kasha, if they're going to get, especially in this game, unlucky, you need somebody to chip in. And, and Aberg's been reliable in that sense all season 
it's kind of almost taken over for what Silverberg was doing prior to his injury. And then, yeah. you know, he's, he hasn't quite been the same as since he's come back and you can do lineup, you know, second guessing all you want. But, uh, you know, Auberg, it doesn't matter if he's on the fourth, third or first line. He seems to to chip in goals one way or the other. And so uh, it was it was good. I mean, uh, the, the Ducks end up taking the first penalty um, after uh, uh, Walensky ends up taking that one. This is yeah. one where he, he hits. uh they say Janssen, but it, it, I just see Johnson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me being American. Uh, That's the sweetest a, pronunciation. It's yeah, like Jakob so and Jacob. He, he hits him into the boards, and I, and I felt like that hit was good, and it should have resulted in uh, Janssen going down. It doesn't. It kind of bounces back out and goes to the front of the net, and Walensky then at that point is kind of forced to, to uh, you know, take a penalty. I believe it was a hooking penalty. And uh, Toronto gets that first power play. Yeah, it, it was kind of, again, it was just really a back-and-forth game almost. It was back-and-forth in the first, and then after that power play, it was, you know, Toronto looked sloppy at some points, and then there there's times where the Ducks just really couldn't get anything going, and, and Toronto would take it the other way. And I, I think, again, that's a little bit of a testament to Toronto being tired. The Ducks, mm-hmm. you know, they would lay off, get a little bit sloppy, and the Ducks would get their chances, but... Uh, they really couldn't get anything going. There just wasn't a lot of offense that they were generating. And there was plays where they got a little bit lucky too because if you if you look at the, the Kapanen chance that he had, he was wide open. Yeah, Uncut, He was he was alone in the slot. That's not where you want to leave anybody, <laughs> let, alone, same, uh, let alone Kapanen, the way he's been playing this year. Uh, and he just misses. just misses yeah. the top corner. Yeah, what, what I ended up noticing most in that play wasn't necessarily that he was left wide open. That he was left wide open in the slot that he just happened to miss after he had plenty of time to measure uh, John Gibson for the shot. It was John Gibson being in position. The shot goes by. Literally, he drops his shoulder, drops his glove hand, which is the side that he shot on, and does just this little, great. You guys are going to just yeah. leave these guys wide open <laughs> in front and hope I'm going to bail you out. It's just that you could just – it's the body language, and he doesn't yep. – he may hide his emotions in his face. Like, you can't see if he's really upset or what he's going to do. But his body language just it spoke volumes to me because I've been that person. I've seen that happen. I go, like, guys, knock this crap off. I'm tired of it. Just come on. That was that should not be happening. And, uh, you know, it's just, just another, another thing Gibby's got to deal with. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it his frustration really boiled over visibly in the Minnesota game where he gave the headlock to Eric Fair. That's who it was, yeah. Yeah, and and that's where we visibly saw him getting really frustrated. Now just his body language, when he sees these continued breakdowns in play, he's just like, come on, guys. Like, how does this keep happening? You, you can't blame him. And, and I think a lot of Ducks fans are, are doing that along with him. But yeah. um, after that play, the Ducks take another penalty. Manson goes off for holding. A little bit of a, a tough call because he he's yeah. just you know the the guy I don't know who he took down but whoever the least player was he feels a tug and he just falls. Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't much and especially since Toronto uh, doesn't get very many calls against them I think they're one of the lowest penalized teams. They were the yeah. 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 So to so to see you know the Ducks not not get any power plays in the first already now just taking the first penalty which was warranted that one was good and that second one just seemed like all right i guess you're gonna give it to them but it was kind of like at that point you know that the ducks were hopefully trying to get something to, to, to turn around and that doesn't help when you end up taking a penalty but it turns out that penalty kill was more lethal than the power play was so i mean they yeah. the, the toronto power play almost had no, zero shots i think that that penalty or that whole power play and uh, even gibbons costola they started off the kill they looked great they even got a chance on it um yeah i mean they for the most part that penalty kill almost kind of turn momentum a little bit more towards the ducks because once they killed it uh they kind of came out a little bit uh looking to to play i gotta ask you wrote in the notes here didn't know about the quick eject blade thing what are you talking about so uh that's when um uh, henrique ended up kind of losing an edge and his skates hit the uh net the toronto net and then he kind of like slid into uh garrett sparks and fell on there 
and then okay. he had to go to the bench. And then apparently what they do now is there's a quick eject button on skates. This is what I didn't know because I'm not a player. But all you have to do is you go you go out there, and uh, in 40 seconds, they can replace your blades. And they have all the player blades specifically sharpened to what the player wants, so the certain inch in diameter or whatever they need. Um, and so in 40 seconds, I could pop out a blade, put in a new one. So if you ever have a problem with your blade like that, it just happens like that. So I didn't even realize. That was kind of like one of those newer things that I, I just – had never known about so i just kind of put it in there as a note to bring up <laughs> i had never heard of that i didn't even hear it on the broadcast so that's why yeah. i had you bring it up but that, that's definitely interesting um I, I mean let's just really finish off the second period with with the only thing that really matters <laughs> is, uh, right? is the goal by pontus Aberg and uh i i want to give nick ritchie a little bit of credit on this goal because i think you know him being able to get the pass to Aberg is it wasn't the best pass, but he gets it to him in space. So you got to give Nick Ritchie a little bit of pressure, uh, credit for that. But again, a great shot by Aberg. A little bit of a mistake from Garrett Sparks where he lets it squeak under uh, his, I believe it's his glove hand too. No, or maybe it's his blocker. It's his blocker. But he, lets, blocker. he lets it squeak under because it's a shot right into him that he probably should have. But I think Aberg uh, just puts enough power on it that he's able to overpower Garrett Sparks and put it in the back of the net. There were a couple facets to this goal that I really liked. Um, you know, that once again, things had aligned kind of perfectly for the Ducks to get a goal. They seem so snake bitten in that department that this yeah. just has to happen. One is this puck could have easily gone well past uh, Richie. He jumps up, grabs the puck with his glove, and puts it down into his feet. That already is a little tough, and he's doing it close to the blue line. And it's Nick Richie. Yeah, and it's Nick Ritchie. I mean, yeah, A, you don't expect Nick Ritchie to jump. B, you don't expect him to do something so coordinated and athletic as to get the puck, throw it to his feet, have it on his stick, crosses the blue line, and then throws it out to that area where Auberg is. So he actually sets up that play really nicely. So he had to do about three or four non-Nick Ritchie things in a row, uh, or at least old Nick Ritchie things, to set up Auberg. Auberg takes it in, kind of old-school style, just winds up and blasts a shot. Uh, the other thing that uh, had to go right for the Ducks is, in my opinion, Garrett Sparks overextends that blocker just a bit, and it hits the bottom part because it's going to the right side, but by the time it actually hits the back of the net, it's dead center. So that's something that's probably going there, and his blocker just went past it, and it caught the bottom of it. So he didn't track it as well. You can credit Auburn with the, you know a bomb of a shot on that one, and uh, Garrett Sparks may not have just been able to pick it up quite off his stick as fast as it was coming or you know was a little bit unexpected but it does sneak in a spot where garrett sparks would probably want to be a little bit more tight not so extended i i think they actually made a good point on the broadcast and you have to remember is garrett sparks played his entire season in the ahl last year and, and what they're saying is is that's it, it's a you know it's a, a big difference for him to step up now and and have to play and he doesn't play every night but he's now he's playing regular minutes in the National Hockey League, and I think that's a, a that can be a struggle for him. I don't even know if he's really a capable backup yet. And by what I saw in this game, I don't know if I would say he was. He comes out on on the better side when you look at his numbers, but the rebounds he was giving up, the fact that he was bailed out on two goals by Gardner and Zaitsev, <laughs> I think he got a little bit lucky on some of the plays he did. But how do you think it, it's it, in the second period as a whole? How do you think it went uh, for the Ducks? Just in general. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. it, it was good. I mean, you, you're down one. Second period is notoriously bad for the Ducks, uh, where usually they kind of, you know, that, that's when, you know, any good things they did in the first tend to come back and bite them in the ass in the second. Uh, it all goes out the window. So they didn't regress. Um, they, they gave up their chances. They got their chances. They capitalized on one of theirs. Once again, when you're talking about playing against Toronto, who is second in their division, uh, and the top offense uh, coming in, the Ducks played well when you kind of look at it from that point. But once again, I feel that this is just a, a tired Toronto team that's at the end of their four-game road trip. Uh, it started in Boston, but they've done three games in the last four nights. I keep saying that. But, uh, I mean, that can kind of wear on you, especially if you're, you know, back east and you're, you're now stuck in the western uh, or the Pacific time zone. I thought it was fine. They did good. They survived. They got a goal. They got back in it. And uh, they're in a good spot to get through the second period, back into it. They just want to see what they're going to do in the third. 
Yeah, and and you bring up the fact that the the Leafs had played three games in four nights, and and I think in the third period is where you really started to see that wearing on them. They did not look good really at all in this period. They had a couple chances. I mean, early on, um, a, a chance really out of nothing where Montour can't clear the puck out in front of the net, and, and Tavares just pushes him from behind, crashes the crease, gets a little tip on it, yeah. almost puts it in the net. I mean, that would have counted because he didn't interfere with the goalie. He didn't. It yeah. wasn't a penalty on Brandon Montour, but the fact he's even able to get a stick on it is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and Tavares too. It's kind of he's one of those guys where things just go right. Like, yeah. usually he'll fall down and him and two guys will crash and he'll just, like, take a peek and just do this, like, just smack at it. And then somehow he hits the pocket and goes off the post and in or off two posts yeah. and in, whatever it is. He just one of those guys where the puck makes it work for him. And so to see this one just go on the outside of the post and out, you're like, ugh, living right. Because usually those ones are, are the ones that are going to go in. So, uh, you know, it, it was it was a little scary in that first there were there were three high scoring chances and uh, high danger chances you know one for the ducks because silverberg redirected one about 30 seconds or redirected yeah. the shot 30 seconds into the the period that fortunately for sparks he actually got a pad on but uh you know marner had a great chance or he cut to the middle Tavares got this chance just just outside of the the post because if that's inside that's a goal we're down two one early in the third and i don't know exactly how we respond to that no, not really. And, I mean, the Ducks do come close, though, because Andre Kasha gets a, a pretty good chance <laughs> after that, where uh, Larson just kind of whips a shot from the point. Yeah. Uh, and it just like the, it just goes into a scramble in front of the net. It lands by Andre Kasha, actually, and mm -hmm. uh, he just can't find it in the crease. Yeah. And eventually it gets pushed into Garrett Sparks, who gets a bit lucky again. But, I mean, Andre Kasha, <laughs> the amount of chances he he's had so far since coming back, I believe they said he had seven shots last game, 13 shot attempts. He, he's still without a goal, but he's easily been the, the duck who's had the most chances. Yeah, and so Auberg started the game on the top line with Getzloff and Raquel, and Carlisle decided to keep Raquel and Getzloff together. He moved down to the uh, third line and moved Kasha up. Uh, Auberg obviously ends up scoring that one goal, but Kasha looked right at home on that top line. And, yeah, it's just one of those things, again, where it's just there's just something not allowing the Ducks to score. And this time yeah. it's it's a whip shot that hits a couple people in front, sits right there, and you, you see the very rare snow angel out of Sparks on his back. He's just able to, to keep the puck close to his body, at least close enough to get a whistle and, and get out of that period. He did that a couple of times, too, where he's kind of on his back just trying to hold on to the puck. Yeah, and, and after this, I mean, teams were trading chances for a bit. Then the Ducks just started to take over. Uh, Auberg, no matter when he was on the ice, he, he just looked like he was going to make something happen. Uh, and then the biggest chance of this period at that point is Andre Cash has an open net, wide open net. And, and, and it's not even like he makes a bad shot either. I mean, he throws into what is an open area when he makes the shot. And uh, Jake Gardner does a great job to just turn into the shot and get uh, like a toe on it. It wasn't a lot. He gets a small piece of his foot on it and deflects it just wide of the post. But come on. I mean, it's, if if, uh, Kasha has been snake bitten since he's come back. And it's just, I can't believe that doesn't go in. It just sucks. <laughs> I mean, you're just yeah. so tired of having to say like, I mean, this should totally go in, but it doesn't. And you know, it just, it's almost like a broken record. But I mean, that, that one was just like, it's there. Gardner kind of looks to his right. Last second sees his caution to the left. Kind of goes down on this weird, I'm going to try and walk it. Somehow hits off of the ankle and goes just outside of the net. You know, past Garrett Sparks, who's not even in the crease, I think, at that point. And it's just it, it's just like, oh, again, something something happens where it just should be a goal and it isn't. And you feel bad for Kasha at that point, too, because you're just like, man, I feel like I'm doing a lot of things right. They're just not going in. And, and I hate that saying, but it ha it's just been happening for tons of Ducks players now. If it wouldn't be typical Ducks fashion, though, if they didn't give up a scoring chance on a play that really was nothing. Uh, I not I'm not sure. A Leafs player flips it out from their own end. It lands right in between Jacob Larson and Josh Manson, and uh, they both have no idea what to do with the puck at, at yeah. all. Josh Manson takes a couple swings at it, misses it. And then yeah. Connor Brown just breaks right by both of them. 
and yeah. gets a breakaway. Luckily, John Gibson is actually paying attention. But, I mean, yeah, Larson and Manson had bad games overall, but this was the worst play by far. Yeah, yeah. And this, this one was, you know, I kind of feel bad for Manson because it kind of went to him, and he turned his back to the oncoming forward, Connor Brown. Uh, and he, he tried to get it with his stick, and it seemed like he was maybe going to like try and fling it out, and then he just lost the handle or it flipped or something like that, and uh, Connor Brown had more speed following up behind him, ends up, you know, once that mess-up happened, then Manson was like, oh, crap, I got to I gotta reach with my stick, and hopefully I get him. But Connor Brown just comes in, and it's pretty much just a clear breakaway because that's from the blue line in. Uh, but kudos to Gibson not only to be – aware that that's happening but he was so technically sound in how he stopped that yeah. there was no panic there was no overreaction he wasn't too aggressive he came out to the top of his crease he timed the movement back into the side as connor tried to maybe open him up find an opening and there was nothing for him to shoot at and that's that's a great technical move from a goalie where he's down in the butterfly. There's just nothing. There's no five hole. There's no you know, opening between the arms. There's nothing up high. There's nothing, you know, around him. It's just whatever Connor was going to plan on doing, Gibson was ready for. And, uh, you know, once again, Gibson, the holy, the holy goalie is uh, <laughs> how I'm starting to see him. Because at this point, he, he, he's uh, got divine intervention on a lot of plays where he should be getting burned. Yeah, and, and I mean, the Ducks just continued, though, after that to, to play well and get chances, which is something we haven't seen. I, again, I think a, a lot of that might fall on the fact that the, the Leafs were just getting real tired at this point. They're at the end of a road trip, too. A, a lot of these guys just want to get back home. I know some people don't like to hear that, but it, I, I think that's a little bit true in some cases. You, not that they want to not be there for the game, but you're thinking ahead of like, oh, we're you know we're going back home. We're gonna go back to to Toronto. We're we're gonna try and get things going. But yeah. and there's American on... Thanksgiving, so all those Canadians yeah. have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Montour hits the post uh, off a shot that grazes Garrett Sparks' shoulder, which is the Ducks coming close again. And then probably the most ridiculous play of the game. I, I think this one's even more ridiculous than the uh, Kasha one that hits Jake Gardner. Is Ricard Raquel has an open net this time. Uh, yes. Throws it into the back of Nikita Zaitsev's leg, which I thought Garrick Sparks saved this in the beginning. Yeah. But, uh, again, another defenseman bailing out the Leafs. It could have been 3-1. <laughs> it was... The, the only the only happy moment I could take away from that is it hit him square in the back of the knee. So he wasn't facing it. It wasn't shin guard. It wasn't anything blocked. It just hit him square in the back of the knee. And he, you just see his face go, ow! So at least it hurt. Hit. So at least it hurt. But, I mean, good for him for, you know, you know protecting what would have, uh, you know, at that point been the go-ahead goal. But, I mean, it's just uh, his his – physical pain seemed to be a lot of our fans emotional pain at that point it's just like again this one too all right yeah they've got enough of these ones you know all we need is you know a, a three post hit and out and uh really? and we'll have the trifecta what, what happened to, what seems to be a staple i think of the ducks power play this year um Kaepernick ends up clearing the puck over the boards right after that that save by Nikita Zaitsev. Yeah. So the Ducks get a power play. Uh, they look good. Puck movement was good. They had six shots on goal. But the, like I said, the staple of their power play is they can't finish it. Um, yeah. It looked good. The puck movement was good. But again, it was out into the perimeter. The shots were all from the outside. Not really any high danger chances, but just some good movement. It, it seems like they're starting to get halfway there. But the, the they're not really getting any high danger chances on the power play still. What I remember is uh, the Ducks power play being awesome, not last season, but the season before. And that was whether it was Kessler in front of the net or you put Eves in front of the net. And there was some sort of distraction in front. It doesn't seem like there's that distraction right now. Obviously, yeah. for whatever reason, in my opinion, I, I still don't think Kessler's at 100%. He's not the guy that's in front of the net causing havoc. Uh, you don't have Eves right now because he's you know, often injured. He missed all last season pretty much. Uh, so it just doesn't seem like that's there. So all the passing around is fine for whatever team's defending it because that goalie can move and see around. There's not much havoc that's happened in front. Nick Ritchie's kind of there a little bit in some capacity if he's out there. But it, it, that's, that's, in my opinion, what they're missing. They're making lots of nice passes around, but ultimately, by the time the shot happens, everyone's pretty much set up. So unless there's a big rebound, 
um, you still usually have about four guys on the outside and one guy on the inside, and, and it's not Ease or Kessler to try and bang one home. Yeah, and I think now going into overtime, uh, looking back at just the first three periods, you have to feel that there was a missed opportunity for the Ducks to not close it out in regulation. Uh, they probably deserved the win after their play in the third period. Uh, a little bit unlucky again, like I said, but you, you got to close it out. And no matter what kind of luck you're getting, you know, you're hitting defensemen, whatever, but you got to put a little bit of onus on the players for not closing that out. The, the Ducks have had problems scoring all year, but really, I mean, this is a game they should have finished in regulation and it comes back to haunt them in overtime. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, to that overtime point, they've had 12 home games. Seven of them have gone to overtime. That means they could play two more games at home in regulation and then they'll finally be at 50% of their home games have gone to overtime. They've done more <laughs> overtime games than regulation games at Jeez. home. And uh, that's, that's a lot of bonus hockey. Uh, that's a lot of things that could have been closed out and uh, they don't have exactly a sparkling record when it comes to overtime or the shootout. So, yeah, it, it kind of you know, missed opportunity. You, you just you feel for them. Um, they did outshoot them 37 to 31, you know, in the regulation. So you got to do that. You know, give them at least a little bit of props, but at the same time, it's just like this is a tired team that gave you the chance to win. And, you know, I, I hate to say it. they got the chance. They got the chance. Yeah. So I, I don't want to say that they didn't work hard for it. They didn't try. It wasn't from a lack of effort either. It's just at some point, something's got to get better. Otherwise, this team's just going to stay bad. And, yeah. uh, you know, at least they held the, you know, the top offensive team down to one goal. But overtime was just crazy. Uh, Marner was buzzing early on. He, he generated, he self-generated two or three chances right off the face-off. Uh, another chance in front. This is what happens in overtime. You're going to get plays that are just kind of a, a little bit crazy out of the norm. Just someone kind of maybe hopefully trying to take over. But uh, it, it, it didn't work out for, for him. Auburg, uh, he gets uh, uh, a chance, but it gets poked away by uh, Dermott. Uh, I believe in the uh, over, yeah in the overtime period. So he, he almost had a chance, but then it was a good back check, and he couldn't quite get that done. Yeah, and and then you spoke of Mitch Marner, and I think three on three overtime is made for a player like that, um, and and he is a big factor on on this overtime goal by by the Leafs here. The Ducks actually, I believe, they had, had a, a three on one uh, going on. John Tavares, who comes and gets a great back check outlet pass to Mitch Marner, who just throws a strike across to Morgan Riley. Nothing John Gibson can do on that play. I mean, it, it it's a great pass. He's, he's out of position, and uh, it, it's an empty net for Morgan Riley to throw it into. But it, it's tough. I mean, it, it's a game they should have won, but you don't want to get a team like this to three-on-three. Three. When you're play, going up against John Tavares, Mitch Marner, and Morgan Riley, you make a mistake, and, and they're going to make you pay. Yeah, and this one kind of hurt a little bit, too, because they had the opportunity to try and score, and uh, they, they didn't get a chance to to make that happen. And then I think it was Henrique and Raquel ran into each other, and that's yeah. what kind of created a three-on-one opportunity going the other way. Um, the one thing that, I don't know, it seems to almost be like a lost art form. If, it's, I'm, a, if I'm a goalie, I'm John Gibson, it's a two-on-one. I don't care if it's Mitch Marner coming in. My focus is the guy with the puck. He's the one who's dangerous. My defenseman needs to make sure that puck doesn't get across. And even if they're a good passer, you'd think at some point they'd be able to, to take away some of those passes because that, that was the killer. I mean, Gibson, in my opinion, even Marner walked in, I think Gibson could have held his ground and done just fine, and he did everything he could. But the second you have to jump all the way across – you open up everywhere. You hope you can get to the post, but that puck can literally go anywhere. You're just, at that point, you're hoping it hits you, and that's why you don't want those passes to go through. If I can solidify this guy to this quarter or this half of the ice, I don't have yeah. to worry about him and this guy. And unfortunately, it's just a, a good pass, but, you know, another another play I wish, uh, you know, defensemen would, would do a little bit better that I don't see that happen too often anymore in the NHL. Yeah, uh, obviously now you guys have seen the game. We've recapped it, so you know the Ducks dropped it two one in overtime to the to the Maple Leafs. So let's talk hey, spoiler about spoiler alert. You gotta say spoiler I... alert. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're well beyond yeah. spoiler alert. Uh, 
Batman. Let's start with let's start with some of the good from this game, and then we'll get to the bad. I, I think again we talked about it in the last show how Raquel and Kasha looked like the best forwards in the last game, even though the Ducks didn't play that well. I think that continued in this game. Andre Kasha, I think, was by far the Ducks' best forward. You look at his scoring chances for he was on ice for thirteen scoring chances for five against high danger chances for he had he was on the ice for seven four zero against so anytime he was on the ice he was pretty much only creating offense which was a great game for him and then ricard raquel again was 20 and 11 for scoring chances for and nine and four for high danger chances for so both of them were just playing great and i think raquel and gets last play they were good all game but when andre kasha got put on that line uh, i think they took it to a whole nother level i wouldn't be surprised to see them together to start the next game, I think that would be the best option for the Ducks because that's probably been the best that top lines looked all year. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you kind of had to ease Kasha back into it. Uh, you know, he had a concussion the last game of the uh, preseason. But ever since he's come in, he's done two things that have uh, impressed me. A is just to hit his top flight speed, uh, something that the Ducks just don't have. I mean, no one could match his flat out speed and quickness. The other thing that he can do too is he communicates. I mean, it just—it never seemed like the Ducks players were ever talking to each other. Anytime like they would pan over, it was just there was no talking. The second Kasha came out, he was talking to everybody. Everything he was doing, he was talking to this guy, that guy, and wanted to make sure everyone was kind of on the same page. Or hey, let's do it this way next time. Or hey, this is what I was trying to do. So if it happens again, that's where my mind is. Uh, so I think that hel- helps out a great deal. Uh, I think it was going to take a couple games for him to to really kind of get into that groove before he got put in that top line. I thought he was great. Uh, I think that top line will do better if he's on there because it just adds the one the one dynamic that it doesn't have. It's got a great setup guy in Getzloff. It's got a great finisher in Ricard Raquel and almost a game breaker. He can kind of create a yeah. play out of nothing sometimes. But then you add cautious speed that backs everyone off. It's just, you know, and it, 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 that's a line that can definitely work. I thought uh, Auberg was great too, but he he produced on the third line, and I think he could be a suitable replacement on the third line with Henrique and Richie. Yeah, because I I kind of see not to an exact similarity, but I think Auberg provides maybe the same type of impact that you're going to get from Andre Kasha, just maybe at a little bit of a lesser level. Yeah, and just it's, a little bit less. Yeah, and it's it's tough to say that because Pontus Auberg has been great and he has six yeah, goals in his it. last ten games. So, but I think we it was testament to what we've seen the last few games, especially tonight, and, and what Andre Kasha brings to this team. And uh, I would be surprised if he wasn't on the top line. You know, that line when they were put together was good. Henry Ritchie and Auberg looked good. The fourth line even had a pretty good night. Um, I think if we're gonna move into the bad, the only line who did not play well tonight, and it was by a large margin was the Cogliano-Kessler-Silverberg line. Um, I know they're tasked with going against the least best opponent, uh, the least best lineup, but still, I mean, they were, I believe they, or I would assume at least, they were against John Tavares and Mitch Marner, which is a yeah. tough assignment for anybody, but they got outplayed easily in this game. Tough one for them. I would assume they probably stay together because if all the other lines are playing well, they're going to have a night like this, yeah. especially when you're playing against top opponents like that. But it really was a, a night where they all kind of struggled. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you're hoping at some point you're going to see Silverberg kind of get back to what he was doing prior uh, to his injury. Uh, hasn't quite hit there, but he, he's gotten his chances. Cogliano will always get his chances. He'll just never finish them. And uh, you're just still waiting to see that Kessler of old uh, now, unfortunately, yeah, I, I just don't see how he slots in in any other different spot and becomes more effective. So he's kind of he, he's he's gone from any offensive uh, potential to really just hey, lock it down, win those faceoffs, get in their heads, you know, you know, push them out to the side, that sort of deal. That that's your role now at this point. So it. it yeah, it's it's going to be a role he's going to have to you know change just a little bit and um, hopefully, like I said, the other guys can maybe chip in a little bit more uh, as far as uh, offensively because I don't think Kessler's going to be able to do it. No, and, and I think the the other thing to look at too is is the other two defense pairings, Lindholm and Montour, were pretty good. Um, Pedersen Walensky getting a, a lot easier matchups, but they still played a pretty good night. Um, again, there was one bad pairing though. 
that really stood out, and that was Jacob Larson and Josh Manson, not only because of the play we talked about earlier that led to a chance by Connor Brown, but they were just victimized all night by by the Leafs' top players. They were on the wrong side of scoring chances by a a big margin. They were on the wrong side of high-danger chances for. They were on the wrong side of shot attempts. It just wasn't a great night. And even visually, just looking at them tonight, too, if if you're not a huge fan of analytics, just watching them play tonight, they just looked disorganized. And, and that's been a trend for Josh Manson all season. He's been paired with Cam Fowler. It hasn't looked good. He's been paired with Jacob Larson. It hasn't looked good. Um, it's been a tough year for him, and it's been a tough uh, up-and-down year for Jacob Larson as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's tough because, you know, they, they signed Manson, and uh, he worked so well with Lindholm. And then to immediately get, uh, you know, a new coach in there on the defensive side, shake it up. And you can just see where it's just not working for Manson. I mean, you know, Lindholm, it doesn't really matter who he's paired with. He'll do well. But I feel like if he's there and Manson's there, that's an amazing line that they just don't seem to want to put back together uh, for, you know, whatever reason. And now that Fowler's gone, you're missing a, a great offensive defenseman something someone that gets you know the plays done and so now now you're stuck with Lindholm who will make whoever he plays with good this is going to be Montour and now you're you're literally left with you know Montour uh and uh Lindholm as your top two and then you've got Manson who's not going to drive the play he he really works very well when he's got someone like Lindholm that's where he's going to shine it's going to be hard for him to support a younger player like Larson or Pedersen or Walensky or even if you get you know and then they're not going to bring in Luke Shen or somebody else to to play with him because then that's two you know slower bigger hitter guys that aren't really gonna you know shut anything down you got to have some speed on some of those lines to keep up with uh, the new NHL and the speed so it's going to be tougher man I I don't really see it working out too well this season unfortunately unless unless they finally get back to to Lindholm and Manson and that's not going to happen until Fowler gets healthy no it's not and and I mean that's pretty much it uh looking at the summary of this game it's not going to get any easier on Sunday because the Ducks have to go and play the Colorado Avalanche and play arguably the best line in hockey and then yeah. uh Landis Cog McKinnon and Ronton and uh, looking at some of the post game talk that we have uh, the goals were playing tonight. They won 5-1 against Bakers, or 4-1, I believe, against Bakersfield. Uh, Troy Terry continued his point streak, get a goal and an assist. That's points What's in he at all. Now? He's at nine-game point streak now. And he's Jeez. that that's every game that he's been down there. So he's just been on a whole other level. <laughs> um, again, I mean, he went down there for confidence. That's what we said, to, to get you know his confidence in his offensive game. Obviously, he has that. Um Matter of time, I think, before he gets called up eventually or they're just going to leave him down there to develop. Either one is a good option. Uh, obviously, the Ducks could use goal scoring, but I, I think as a, for a player like him, the more time he can spend in the AHL, gain confidence and develop, I think the better. Refine his game. You know, maybe spend another 10, 15 games down there and, and really get things going. Um, but just a, just a great start for him. Yeah. Now, does that – you'll probably know better than me – uh, has he already entered into his entry level contract because he played a little bit last year and he's played some this year so do, doesn't this year count as his first year as entry level yeah i believe last year i i believe the ducks playing him last year when they did they burned a year off his entry level because so they is, played him yeah. so yeah. all right so they already did the first year this is the second year and so he's gonna have to do a third year but then yeah. they're probably maybe yeah. Well, maybe when it comes down to resigning him, he hasn't played enough at the NHL that they can get him for cheaper. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, any contract he gets, unless he, I mean, he's already a, a fifth of the way through this season, um, and didn't look good when he was up here. Unless you know, even if he came up here and finished the season red hot and was one of the Ducks' best players, he would have to come out. And it would really the contract would be judged on whatever he does next season. Um, yeah, and I think at this point they probably just keep him down anyways. Just, just there's to, no room. Yeah, a there's no room, and b it's you know let him let him just you know dominate there, get a, a that confidence, but b at the same point, even if he he comes up, it doesn't really behoove the the Ducks because. I don't know if anyone else wants to admit this, but at this point, I mean, the the season outlook is kind of bleak in my opinion. And so why bring him up, give him, you know, you know, just bring him into that environment, at least try and get him into San Diego where there's a chance. I guess. Yeah. 
No, I, I think taking the Detroit Red Wings approach to this, where you, you let him stay in the minors for as long as you possibly can until you need him and, and make sure he's you know got that experience down there. Again, I mean, he's a guy who came from college just last year and played a couple games for the Ducks. This is his first taste of just AHL hockey, so I think it's good for him to get that development time down there. But he's not the only guy who had a, a good night for San Diego tonight. Isaac Lindstrom made his debut on the top line Ooh. with Troy Terry and Max Jones. He had a primary assist uh, on a goal for Corey Trapp and then also had a secondary assist on the power play. Um, so he's getting a lot of minutes down there, which I think is going to be great for his development. He's in an, another position where the same as Troy Terry, where the offense wasn't really coming and going down to another level and hopefully getting that confidence will be good because I think defensively he was one of the Ducks' better forwards. When you look at when he was on the lineup, which surprised a lot of people how responsible he is with the puck and yeah. the fact he's going to go down there now and, and gain some of that uh, learning experience and, and maybe refine the offensive abilities that he has, I think will be huge. Yeah, how natural he looked too when he was playing with yeah. the Ducks. So, I mean, it, it didn't look like... Uh, you know, you know, an 18-year-old coming in and just, you know, didn't know where where he was going, what he was doing exactly, you know, how to follow. So, I mean, he, he seemed responsible enough uh, around the puck and defensively. So, I, I'd agree, you know, maybe give these guys a little bit of a chance, kind of see how the cards, uh, you know, or how the how the season plays out for the main players in the uh, on the big club. Kind of kind of see where you go and see what you have in the minors and see what you can bring up maybe next year. Yeah, I think so. And and the last touch uh, that I want to make for the goals is uh, a lot of you guys know that Maxim Comtois is down there on a, a three-game loan conditioning stint. Uh, it was his second game, and he scored a goal again. So in typical, in typical Maxim Comtois fashion, he's got two goals in two games. Uh, good for him, too, because yeah. uh, he was out of the lineup for a while with injury. Um, it's nice for him to go down there and play well because the Ducks are going to have to call him back up or send him to junior after his next game. I would assume they probably let him play that third game in San Diego, just finish it out, let him continue uh, the wave he's on now. Uh, but he'll be a welcome addition back to the lineup. I'm I'm not sure if he's going to come back and score at the, the rate he was before because he was due for a regression. He wasn't shooting the puck that much, and his uh, shooting percentage was sky high. Um, but he, anyway, just having him back in the lineup, I think, will be big. I'm not sure where he's going to play at this point, but it's definitely a welcome addition when he comes back. Yeah, I mean, if he, he ends up coming back, you know, the Ducks have another uh, poor second line performance i mean i i can see him maybe you know randy carlisle the head coach maybe trying to change things up with with that lineup because i mean he's now he's done the same lineup at least to start the games uh in a row and they've both resulted in losses so uh i could see him maybe kind of coming in and shaking things up if he has another good third game and you know he, he did well enough he provided you know a little uh you know hitting he provided goal scoring provided speed youth just energy and uh, a lot of times that seems to be missing in some of the lineups uh, or some of the lines so i want to see him get in there for sure yeah i think the interesting thing for him is where does he fit into this lineup now because you've got ricard raquel playing first line left wing you've got nick ritchie who's there you've got uh cogliano who's going to be playing with uh, kessler and silverberg one of those guys gets moved down to the fourth line I think, obviously, the easy option is to say either Richie or Cogliano, and then you just move Comtois in. Uh, but then you also have to take somebody out. Uh, and and pretty much everybody is, is back healthy for this team now. Um, it's a tough call. It's going to be a tough call because the only other option, like I said, is you, you can only send him down to the QMJHL. I say you bring him up, and this may not be a popular one because he's been around for so long is uh, Cogliano's worn a little thin in, uh, on on me. Um, he's got speed. He's an amazing penalty killer. I love what he can do, but he's kind of a specialist in that. Um, other than that, I don't see him being a second-line guy. I, I can see him being third, fourth line, and uh, a penalty kill specialist, something where, like like even tonight, they, they had um, Gibbons and Kostela playing one of the penalty kills. Uh, you could easily, and they're fourth-line guys, you could have Cogliano fourth-line minutes play penalty kills, which the Ducks seem to take an enormous amount of penalties anyway, so we get all his playing time. He's just, he's he's on five-on-five, five, the guy does not seem to score, does not contribute nearly enough for the minutes that he's given 
And so at this point, I, I'm, I'm at the point where they drop him down, let him play the penalty kill, give someone else a shot that can maybe show some offensive spark, something that's you know going to get a goal here or there because Cogs just doesn't do it consistently enough. He misses. He gets chances, but he misses most of those chances. Yeah, I, I think the big thing, just to finish this topic off, you have to remember, is is <laughs> Comtois likely comes in for, for Cali Kosla. I think that's yeah. an easy swap out. You then you decide who you want to play at center there because you don't really. I mean, Brian Gibbons has played center before, but I don't know if you're going to want to play him there. Sherwood was the other guy on the fourth line there, so you'll have to to work something around to find. I'd rather it. see Sherwood up with uh, Silverberg and um, Kessler to tell you the truth, and then yeah. have a, a Gibbons, uh, Comtois, and even Cogs. I mean, even then, I still feel that can provide energy. And then if you have Auberg. Henrique and um, um, Richie on the third line or whatever, yeah. however you want to move those pieces around on the bottom six should work. I don't know. I, I, that's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is playing out, in my opinion, to to Maxime Comtois getting sent back down to junior. I think the Ducks are finally getting everybody back healthy. If Patrick Eves is back Sunday. That's true. Yeah. If uh, – so if he's back Sunday and Maxim come to her whenever he's ready to come up after this last game with the goals, it's a, a roster situation. And, you know, you can send, send down Kiefer Sherwood if you want. So that's a possibility. But then you're, you're weighing the option of, of playing Maxim come on the fourth line. Or then, like you said, moving Cogliano, moving Cogliano down, moving Richie down. Um, I think at this point with everybody back, as much as I want to see come on the lineup, I think it, right now it's probably best for his development to send him back down to junior, let him play in the World Juniors where he's going to factor in a big role on Team Canada. He'll likely be one of uh, the top players on that team because he is a returning player. Um, I think right now that's the logical option. I'm just not sure if the Ducks take it. Yeah, and it's the it's probably the logical option if you're – if you're prepared for the Ducks not to do very well this season, if you still are holding hope that because the Pacific division is somewhat weak and you might be able to get in there, I, I feel if they had that that feeling that this team could compete and actually still get into the playoffs, they'd probably put the best players out there. And in my opinion, Comtois should be up there and in the game. But at this point, because in my opinion, I think this this team's got a lot of struggles ahead of it until some other major changes <coughs> coaching uh, gets done, then the the Ducks are a little bit in trouble. And why put a, a kid through that and try and make him, you know, figure out where he fits on a team that's struggling so hard? You know, put him put him in uh, yeah the 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 juniors there. Let him just kind of develop, feel good, get back in here with an even better attitude, knowing that he can not only produce down there, but up here, the AHL. He, he's produced everywhere he's gone so far. So just kind of keep that that positive energy going. Yeah, and I think the last thing that uh, we have to touch on here, um, unfortunately we don't have this sneak peek of the Ricard Gronberg uh, interview on this show. Um, what? We'll blame the co-host who isn't here. Uh, Patrick, because uh, oh, we we don't so early for that. <laughs> we don't have the uh, we don't have access to the the speaker uh, file today oh. to put it up for, for playing on uh, on our end. But, but still, the interview will be released tomorrow. <laughs> if you, I mean, some people might not even know what I'm talking about at this point, but if you if you didn't see it on social media today, um, we had the chance to interview uh, Ricard Gromberg, who's the head coach of the Swedish men's national team this morning. Really early for you guys, uh, sort of early for me. Uh, it was <laughs> a great interview. <laughs> yeah, we we talked everything from you know just the Swedish national team, from his history in coaching and playing, uh, from his experience coaching Ducks players, and, and from what he thinks about uh, the World Juniors coming up and and the. The global series that the the NHL plays in Sweden. It, it was a lot of topics that we covered. So it's honestly a great interview. Uh, we'll have that up separately on YouTube tomorrow, and then eventually we'll also have that up on Spreaker. Um, so if you guys are, are going to check that out, it'll be great. It, it's it's a great interview. He was a great guy too. I, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was worried. Like uh, I, I don't know if this is just me, where it's like, oh, we're interviewing a, a, a you know a Swedish coach, and there's going to be a language barrier where it's going to be like, yeah. this dude, like it's he spoke it a better English than me. 
So uh, he was he was great to interview. Uh, you know, a, a cool guy. Uh, kind of rolled with uh, everything that you know our crummy little podcast does. But uh, <laughs> we also asked some homework questions for uh, ducks, and he was happy to answer as well. So um, it's definitely worth listening to, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the one thing too. Again, I want to touch quickly on that language barrier thing. Is is uh, before I had even what he what uh, he sounded like. That's what we kind of expected too. But the thing that we found out is he's a, a dual citizen with the in the United States. So he actually is. Uh, when you're thinking of Swedish accents, we're thinking of Ricard Raquel and Hampus Lindholm, where it's pretty good, but it's still a little bit difficult to understand what they're saying. But uh, he had a hint of a Swedish accent, but you could pretty much understand everything he was saying. So if you're worried about that listening yeah. <laughs> trust me you're gonna be able to probably understand more of what he says than what i say so yeah yeah because you just said a boot and then uh, yeah no i see i don't know if this is bad but i just kept thinking oh my god we're gonna get the uh, swedish chef from the sesame street like <laughs> how are we gonna be able to understand what he's gonna say but no he like i said he speaks uh speaking a better english than me so uh it, it's a good interview he's a good guy and uh um yeah, I'm glad he spent the time talking to us. <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, we're we're hitting close to an hour, so we won't be able to get all the fan questions that we have, but I'll I'll hit a couple oh. of the ones um, that we we had a couple on Reddit, so I'll hit those. Um, so Herb you stinks asked, does everyone else in the league know we're struggling <laughs> to play their backup net buyers to get some reps in? So he's he's talking about the fact that the Ducks have faced a lot of backup net minders as of late and have struggled to put goals in the back of the net despite that. Well, Fleury played, right? Uh, he did, but I don't think they went on a back-to-back. Uh, every back-to-back yeah. the Ducks seem to play, they, they always end up playing the backup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're the second team on a back-to-back, they usually do that anyways just because usually – you don't want to put your top goalie in there with a tired team. You don't put your backup yeah. on the first game and then let him reap, you know, reap all the rewards. And then you put your starter who you want to keep that confidence going. Like, hey, your team's tired. They're exhausted. You had to travel back to back. You go out there and, and watch your team struggle. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think that's necessarily it. Everyone knows the Ducks are, are struggling or at least the season's starting off as a disappointment but i don't think coaches are going like oh it's it's in <laughs> throwing no. the minor league dude yeah I, I i think it's been kind of, it's a mix of both i think you're right in the second game of the back-to-back that is usually the position the ducks are in so most of the time you're going to get uh the backup goalie for that um, but also i i think it's the fact that ducks just haven't been that good this year and they, they're not a high scoring team so teams i think feel safe throwing their backup again uh, against the ducks and and I mean, so far for most teams, it's worked out because the Ducks are sitting near the bottom of the league in, in goals four, and and I think that's a a big proponent of it. But let let's move on to the next question. Here is from the Hack Show six twelve on Reddit. Uh, he said, "When do you guys think we see some sort of change come, whether it be a coaching change or a trade?" Man, your guess is as good as mine on that one. Um, a coaching change, in my opinion, should have happened uh, weeks ago, years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, at the end of uh, last season, the way that that playoff happened, and then um, everything was, oh well, we're gonna do changes. We're gonna be quicker. We're gonna be faster. That's already contradictory to what Randy Carlisle can do. You're forcing a style on this coach that doesn't know how to do that style. And then you said, well, we're we're gonna do all that, but we're just gonna do it with young players who have no NHL experience. We're not gonna bring anybody in who's who's played that way. We're just gonna do younger guys and hope that all ends up working out. So at this point, for me, um, they didn't do anything in the off season to bring any anyone of significant speed or skill to the team. And then he just asked a, uh, an old school coach who's never been all that amazing besides the you know, Stanley Cup year where he had you know arguably two of the top defensemen in the league. Uh, you're asking him to change his complete you know, uh, method and try and catch up to what the new NHL is doing. And it just, it was never going to work. So the fact that we've gone this far and we're at this point, um, I, I don't see when it can change or when he's, you know, uh, uh, GM Bob Murray is going to do anything. Cause he should have done it a long, long time ago. Yeah. I, I think if we do see a change 
anytime soon. It's probably a trade because those those are rumors that we've heard from significant people. Uh, Elliot Friedman and Pierre Lebrun both saying that the Ducks have been involved in some trade discussions. I believe it was Friedman who said the Ducks and, and the Penguins were engaged in the discussions after the Penguins made the trade for uh, Tanner Pearson from L.A. Um, yeah. So I, I could see that. I could see that happening. But um, I think that's going to be it for this show. We, we kind of stretched it over an hour. Sorry. Um, <laughs> again, like, <laughs> as we said, we will have the Ricard Gronberg interview out uh, later today. Now it is, for me at least, or up on the 17th it's going to be up um we also will be back sunday i believe you'll be there for sunday no i will not be okay i, so I have a beer league game which my team desperately needs me to play goal okay so, so bailing, jason will be bailing on the podcast for Just sunday like pat but, bailed tonight. Uh, exactly so I, he can't say anything so I, I believe it'll be me and pat for for sunday against colorado so hopefully that game will go well um, if you guys haven't yet, check out our YouTube. Most of our shows, pretty much every show that we have will go live except for this one. We're still working out a couple issues with our YouTube. We're having a little bit of, of computer issues that's causing some lag. If, if some of you guys have experienced a, a slight bit of lag in the last few videos, we're working on getting that set up. Um, but make sure you go over and you hit subscribe, hit the bell notification. It'll tell you when we go live with any of our post-game shows. Uh, make sure you check out our speaker, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have updates all the time about new interviews. Uh, Forever Mighty Three Stars is always going on on Twitter. Chris Hurt just won our uh, last jersey from that, and we're also giving away one this month. If you haven't checked it out, make sure to go check it out there. And we'll be back for Sunday's game against Colorado. Have a good night, guys.